0: day 29 millimeters at one ground a dead pigeon at the other we update the race for the premier league title as city clear another hurdle just we preview europe barca ajax valencia and what to expect from the boys in frankfurt and we check in on the championship although not much has happened there probably all that plus psg's french cup meltdown in the totally football show in association with paddy power champing at the bit to discuss all that and more, Jack Lang. Hi, James. Also, Tom Williams. Hello, James. Also, Daniel Storey. Good morning. Daniel, who's quite literally off the train from Old Trafford for Man United-Chelsea. How's that race for top four places treating you, Daniel?
1: Yeah, it is kind of it's-a-knockout style, lurching and stuttering and stumbling race for the top four, yeah. Ah,
0: Missed that show. Still, there's always all the fun and games with Spurs, Arsenal... Man U and Chelsea in the last three rounds am I correct in saying that only one of those teams has managed a victory?
1: All I know is that they've dropped 16 points between them since Wednesday morning hmm.
2: Spurs-Brighton I think is the only win that they've had in that period between right. them and that was what 87th minute Christian Eriksen winner so wow. not covering themselves in glory.
0: Hey Tom you were tweeting the Premier League should ask UEFA if their fourth Champions League spot could be rolled over until they've got a decent team to fill it
2: yeah, well, it just feels like, I mean, you'd expect that at this stage of the season, those clubs would be really hitting their straps, you know, given the importance of Champions League qualification. And, mm. OK, you know, I suppose you could say that Arsenal and Chelsea have still got this safety net of potential qualification by the Europa League. But, you know, why not take that out of the equation by qualifying by the league? So it's, yeah, a curious state of affairs.
0: Indeed. We'll talk more about that Europa League safety net later on with the word on their opponents, Valencia and Eintracht Frankfurt. Let's begin though with Sunday's clash at Old Trafford. Man United Chelsea in a must-win game that well, neither did Daniel. You were there.
1: Yeah, it was it was a match of pitiful quality, it really, really? was. I yeah. quite
0: enjoyed the first half. Oh, I it was. Man re- United were much better.
1: Yeah, it was reasonably enjoyable. Like, it was just awful quality. United were the better team in the thirty first thirty minutes and were uh, kind of had their bubble burst by that another David De Gea error. But United needed to win that game, and their last shot on target was in the 54th minute. Oops. That was embarrassing. And Chelsea were there for the taking. I think, I think I'm right in saying that Chelsea had not taken a point away from home against top 16 this season until yesterday. They're closer now, United, to Burnley than the top two in terms of points. Wow. It was another limp, lame performance. And there was a, I was walking out of Old Trafford, and there were some United fans saying two years ago, we were walking past Ajax in the Europa League final. Right. Now they're just mm. walking. Exactly. Yeah,
0: um, That business of no-shot since the 52nd minute, was that tactical? Or was that just that people like Lukaku were completely out of puff? Or Chelsea defending well? Or, or yeah, what?
1: Lukaku looked very tired, um, but it's it's the transition through midfield. Paul Pogba seems to have got to a stage now where he feels he has to do it himself, but he's not in a good enough form to do it himself. So he tries to take the ball forward and invariably gets tackled and sparks a counter-attack for the opposition. Uh, they left Anthony Martial on the bench. I don't know if that was fitness, but it seemed mad to bring on Sanchez over him because Sanchez is completely lost. He was awful again. Um, And Marcus Rashford went off injured, but was probably their poorest attacker before then. So there's just nothing clicking at all.
2: All I think it also illustrates the psychological fragility that there is at United at the moment in that they did start the game very well the crowd were clearly clearly behind them they take the lead with a really nicely constructed goal and as, as Daniel was saying Chelsea there for the taking and then in that one moment and you know, the latest David Ahea howler you just feel the belief drain out of the stadium mm. um, and for them not to even register a shot on target in, in the last what you know, what was it 40, 40 minutes of yep. the game in a game they absolutely had to win is is, is pretty disgraceful um, but I think it just shows that, they, that the psychological resources aren't there the belief that they can you know seize control of matches has has ebbed away over this dreadful recent period they've had and I think that I think that partly explains the outcome as well
0: right
3: Jack it was notable that the, the stat came up on Sky Sports in the second half after Chelsea scored that United have kept just two clean sheets at home all season the least in the league Fulham have now got more than that after their clean sheet this weekend and just the I think when you're misfiring an attack, we've Daniel spoken about those strikers not looking in form, not looking confident. There's no one really creating chances for United. And when that's the case, you have to be perfect at the other end. And, you know, you could probably make a case that Victor Lindelof has had an okay season, but I think you would struggle to to name another United centre back that should be looked at as, you know, even a squad player next season, not in a starter. They just need a full clear out. Marcus Rojo comes on here, guy, you know. Completely forgotten about. I think United have played five different centre backs in the last couple of weeks, none of whom really look up to scratch.
0: Is that why the hair suddenly gone to pieces?
3: It may be a factor in some of the goals, but I don't think there was an excuse for the one at the weekend. He had a, a clear view of it. it. Didn't seem to me to move a great deal. Didn't get a deflection, uh, and I don't think he made up his mind as to what he was going to do with it. Whether he was going to catch it or palm it away, he seemed just to take the middle ground on that and yeah I think I mean his reaction said oh he looked like he was ch- talking to himself kind of in a bit of a dark place I suppose as you yeah. would be and I think he more than anyone could do with a few months off
0: do you think would you if you, were you Oli Gunnar Solskjaer would you say thanks that's three areas leading to goals in your last four matches as many as you'd had in your previous 123 for Man United mm. combined might be time for you to take a break and Sergio Romero
1: possibly but goalkeepers are completely are unique, completely different to any other player. If, if he was a central midfielder or a centre-forward, he would have already have spent two or three games on the bench. But changing goalkeepers feels inherently more significant than it does changing an outfield player. It feels like you have to allow it to run its course because if you chop and change, you end up destroying the confidence of both the first and second choice. We saw that with Liverpool last season. It's very hard to just chop and change goalkeepers and say, "Right, Romero is now the number one." Because when David Hare then comes back into the team at some point, if he stays, he's immediately thinking he's on the back foot. And as a goalkeeper, he, it only takes a slight hesitation, a slight change of hand position, or something, and that's his difference between you know a goal and a save. And that's what the Hare's had at the moment. Then these are not huge differences he's making in these games. These are minute fragments that stem from. Mistakes, I think. Mistakes kind of breed more mistakes.
2: Right. It's so rare as well to see an elite goalkeeper go through a patch like this. You might expect it from a young goalkeeper, and we all remember that De Gea struggled quite a bit when he first came into the team, but he was the best goalkeeper in the world five minutes ago, and in the space of what, less than twelve months, suddenly he seemed to be, he has a mistake in him every single game. And I think the fact that they're all they're different types of errors. I mean, a lot of them are just, you know, poor you know, poor handling of, of shots and things like that, which suggests that it's a confidence issue rather than any problem of technique because we know David De Gea has got exceptional technique. He's shown that for the past five years and I think when you get to the point that it's penalising the team as much as it is and probably spreading uncertainty through his defence, I think you, mm-hmm. you almost have to take him out of the out of the firing line, both right. for his own good and for the good of the team.
0: Interesting. As for Chelsea, a good result for them? Uh, listeners are divided. Mark says, I can't understand Chelsea fans' criticism of Sarri. Looks like top four and a possible European league final there are two points ahead of fifth place arsenal at the moment jim boyd says is the fact though that sari wants to sign higuain permanently for 30 million plus grounds enough to sack him oh Oh, my word you're already puffing out your cheeks more than higuain after a a five minute run around
1: he was so frustrating yesterday incredibly and i don't get sari's loyalty to i know he might want to sign him therefore he wants to convince him to come but On the evidence we've seen, he would be a dreadful signing and a worse player in that Chelsea team than Olivier Giroud. The issue yesterday was that his movement isn't good enough and he's not quick enough. That If Chelsea play a through ball, he has to set off early to have a chance of catching up with it. But by setting off early, he was making himself offside. He was caught offside five times. And they were all exactly the same. He just looks broken. He he doesn't move. And I I honestly don't get that loyalty. And if if it does cost Chelsea at some point, then Sarri should take the blame for that.
0: Right. OK, well, that was all a bit of a downer. So let's leave the race for top four places there for now, though we will be back to check on European prospects for Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs very shortly. After this, though, it's all about the spectacular title race. You're listening to The Totally Furble Show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, listener, the title race. Liverpool on Friday, doing Huddersfield 5-0, then settling down in the front room on Sunday to see what Burnley could come up with against Man City. Tom, you were at Anfield, where Huddersfield held out longer than expected.
2: Yes, uh, the suspense lasting all of 15 seconds, uh, which was the time that it took for Jan Gorenk's Stankovic to uh, gift the ball to Mo Salah, I think it was Abukaita puts Liverpool in front, uh, and and that was it. You know, the game was over, and I think both in terms of the match, but also as a, as a spectacle, it kind of killed things. Uh, I think generally speaking, the atmosphere for a Liverpool home games has been quite good recently. There was a there was a response to some concerns voiced by Virgil van Dijk that the crowd were getting a bit too antsy during matches and and too excited. Too, oh, no, no, getting too nervous. Oh right, okay. Uh, you know, and, and that was feeding through to the players. Um, I spoke to a few Liverpool fans before the game, and they were saying that there's been this real desire since then to try and turn Anfield into a bit of a cauldron, and and, and try and enjoy it as best as best as they can, uh, you know, despite the the stakes being as high as they are. Um, I think Liverpool taking the lead as quickly as they did meant that, you know, there was no sense of suspense. The atmosphere did get a bit flat. Um and, you know, Liverpool put the game to bed quite easily. Um, and then yeah, like you say, thoughts immediately turned to, to Turf Moor on Sunday and right. whether Burnley can do them a favour.
0: Thoughts also with the pigeon. Do we ever find out what happened to the
2: pigeon? No, I didn't even see the pigeon. I didn't I, I saw the pictures on the on Twitter someone, but I didn't I I didn't see that it that myself.
3: Who the pigeon would say. Is that Trust too me? obvious? Yeah. That's too obvious. Jack? Uh, I've got no pigeon insight All right, Tell us about the Ox then
2: Yeah so the Ox made his return after a year out uh, with a knee injury um, fantastic reception when he came on uh, I think there was about Half an hour left to go. Um, almost scored a really nice goal as well. I think it was Salah slipped him in. He cut inside his man and, and was, scuffed his shot a bit, and Jonas Lursl, um saved it. But yeah, obviously good to see him back, both for, for Liverpool and from an England perspective, um, because I think he, you know, tends to. I mean, when players aren't playing for a year, that they, they do get forgotten about. Um, but you know, you think about the form that he hit the second half of last season. He looked like he was going to become a really important player for Liverpool and for England. Uh, Joe Gomez back fit again now as well. He came on towards mm. the end um, and. Yeah there's just this there's this sense of almost serenity with Liverpool. I mean, yes, you know, they they are still very much involved in the title race, um, but I think that, you know, they exert so much control in, in the matches that they play um, and, and, you know, with these players coming back from injury, uh, you know, Roberto Firmino missed out against Huddersfield, but the expectation is that he'll be fit to face Barcelona. Um, you know, I, I got the impression that they're quite sanguine about the prospect of missing out on the title, despite it being the thing that they've been chasing for 29 years because if they get to the end of the season and they've won 97 points and only lost one match, yep. you know, what more can they do? Well, they set more
0: history. They made more history in this game here. Navigator with their fastest ever Premier League goal. Mo Salah with a new record for the most goals scored by any player in their first 100 Liverpool games, 69. And also all five goals in this match scored by players from Africa, which is a new record for the most in a Premier League game by one team. Extraordinary. Anyway, meanwhile, City, then on the Sunday, City taking on Burnley, 2 5 nils in their last two meetings. A lot closer this time in the end... Winning by the narrowest of margins.
1: Yeah, it felt like, and it's it's to Burnley's credit, it felt like a match in the home straight of a title race. For the first time in a long time, we're used to having light and shade in title races. We have The only kind of jeopardy for the last two months is whether Liverpool win it in the first half or the second half and whether City do the same. But this actually felt like a match at the end of the season in which one team really needs to win. And Burnley, to their credit, were... Typical Burnley, you know, they slowed the game down, they annoyed City, but they came pretty close to to thwarting them.
0: Absolutely, just 29mm, that's how much Aguero's shot crossed the line by.
2: I thought it briefly threatened to have echoes of that Man United game at Upton Park on the last day of the 94-95 season, was just this wall of claret and blue shirts because Burnley were really defending in a very sort of, you know, kind of like last-ditch way. Lots of blocks, Tom Heaton making a couple of saves, Mm, Um, and yeah, Aguero... Gets the breakthrough, uh, and them's the you know them's the fineness of the margins in this title race. Certainly are Tom.
0: So for Man City next up, while Liverpool face Newcastle, they must end saying Leicester, who do look in awesome form. We'll talk more about their their three nil win over Arsenal a bit later on, but phew, impressive stuff, eh hey, Jack?
3: Massively that now of hindsight being what it is, we we thought Burnley was the trickiest tie, but. Of the four games left for the top two, that looks the most fraught with danger for sure. Right.
0: Before any of that can happen, though, it's the Champions League. It's all the same, only the names have changed as Liverpool faced Barcelona in the Champions League semi-finals, the club's first meeting since Craig Bellamy took a golf club to John Arna and then both of them scored to knock the Catalans out in the round of 16 in 2007, while this week at the North London Levy Dome, Ajax face a team who haven't been this deep. Since the Beatles began recording at Abbey Road, since the Nobel Prize for Science was given to Crick and Watson for their work on DNA, since Lawrence of Arabia was released and The Incredible Hulk made his first appearance, and since John Bon Jovi was born. That's right,
3: 1962.
0: Boom. Wow.
4: So Can you
3: sick. feel the history? As Spurs taking on Ajax, it's huge, no? Yeah, that Bon Jovi really put it in perspective for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true, Jack. It's true. OK, uh, massive match. Ajax, the darlings of Europe. They took the weekend off. Spurs dead on their feet in defeat to West Ham at the weekend. What awaits them? We dialled up Dutch football expert and our new friend Yuri Gamali in Amsterdam from... The Neutral Kaikas podcast. Jordi, thank you so much for joining us. Spurs have come into this in a slightly less excited fashion uh, after a defeat this weekend. Ajax so far have put out Real Madrid, put out Juventus, put three past Bayern in the group stages. Where can Spurs get at them? What weaknesses do they have?
5: As a, as a team, they can, they can uh, hurt Ajax because uh, even though the, the uh, opponents before this game were really big, but they're, I think, a bit slow in transition and slow in build-up. And Spurs is a really fluid team. And I think that's going to be difficult to handle for Ajax.
0: So someone like Lucas Moura, you think, could be key against uh, Ajax?
5: Yeah, I think so. Mura and Ali would be... would be. I don't think the, the guys up front, uh, if they play Urente, that does not uh, going to hurt uh, the Licht a lot. Uh, but the, the, the moving guys are, are going to be difficult to handle.
0: Ajax taking the weekend off ahead of this one. Was that a move that was greeted with much enthusiasm by, say, their title rivals PSV?
5: <laughs> Not at all. Coaches is, is, is yeah. With every uh, television uh, report, is uh, letting that know that he's really angry with that. But in the end, uh, all the 17 other teams uh, agreed with the uh, with the FA to to do this. PSV is now uh, 17 days off in this phase of the of the of the competition, and that's yeah. I can imagine why they're angry.
0: Jordy, what do you think is going to happen on Tuesday?
5: I think the big, biggest problem with the opponent for Ajax is that they will never underestimate uh, Ajax because uh, Real Madrid and Juventus, even though they had hard third games, even though they went uh, behind, I think there was still some underestimation. But with uh, some key players brought from Ajax, Spurs will never do that. And with that same attitude, I think uh, the most we can get in, in London should be a draw.
0: You're the Yamali of the Neutral Kijkers podcast. That means neutral viewers, by the way. Kijkers means viewers in, in, in Dutch. Did you know that, Tom Williams, with all your Do You Speak Footballness?
2: Uh, yes, I did. I mean, no, I didn't, but it's it's you telling me what it meant has reminded right. me because there's a, there's a phrase in, in, a Dutch phrase in, uh, in Do You Speak Football? Kijkers, meaning cheese watchers. Um, and that's the Dutch equivalent of prawn sandwich brigade. Really, and cheese. It was coined watching. by Co Adriaanse, criticizing AZ Alkmaar fans who'd come along to the game and just sit there watching. Alkmaar, right. of course, being the home of cheese production in Holland. they right. so they little... have
0: been disappointed, of course, cheese room bant by the new Tottenham Hotspur oh, Stadium, which doesn't have that facility. Very disappointed. Yeah. But uh, Jordi there, making reference to the the huge Ajax connection in this Spurs squad.
1: Yeah, they've got. Christian Eriksen, Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen, Davison Sanchez. Three central defenders there who potentially might all start in a back three, um, given that Tottenham don't have any central midfielders. Uh, So playing a back three and wing-backs might be the way to go. Uh, I was looking this morning and it surprised me. I didn't realise that Ajax were quite so heavily odds-on favourites to qualify from this Champions League semi-final. Which is shows that
0: post-West Ham or just in general?
1: It was post-West Ham, but I think it's more a tribute to the fact that they've knocked out two teams that they were supposedly weaker than and that Spurs have got a pretty horrific midfield injury crisis. Right. Um, it looks as if Moussa Soko will face a late test. It looks as if Harry Winks is definitely out. We know Harry Kane's out up front and you know, Pochettino at the weekend. His options on the bench were were Uriente and Janssen and I actually not going to be scared of either of those.
0: Okay,
2: Delielli doesn't
0: look hundred percent. No,
1: and hasn't for a month or so. I don't think. Okay,
2: and Son heung is suspended.
0: Suspended. suspended. Hmm. So tactically, what are you suggesting that the the that Spurs oh, I, do?
1: I think it's it's a horrible thing to say in a preview to the game, but I think both sides would probably be reasonably happy with a nil-nil draw. I think Mircea Pochettino certainly will be, because he will back heung son to start and score in Amsterdam and score the away goal. But Ajax, you know, I know their second legs have been away from home where they have succeeded, but it's in those second, it's the fact that they were second legs that in, in, it's given them a nothing-to-lose mentality, and I, I think they probably feel the same. So I, I my prediction would be nil-nil
2: yeah I agree I think it's in Tottenham's interest to keep it as cagey as possible you know we saw against against City in the previous round that they can be very effective when they don't have the ball spurs and we know that Ajax like to dominate possession so that's you know, that's probably the way that, that things will, will pan out in the first leg. But not having Son on top of not having Kane and with the players missing in midfield means that that, that reduces Tottenham's counter-attacking threat hugely. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think Spurs keep keep it as tight as possible. Try and avoid conceding uh, an away goal uh, and, and hopefully still be in the tie come the second leg.
0: We saw Juve try and keep it tight, try and be cagey against Ajax in the second leg in and- in Turin of the quarter-final, that didn't work out too well for them. I absolutely were all over them.
1: It's going to be really interesting to see how, if as we expect Tottenham play with three at the back, the fact that Ajax play Dusan Tadic as a false nine or a version of a false nine means that there's a, an awful lot of defender there for not a lot of strikers. So at least one, probably two of those central defenders are going to have to step up and try and deal with the attacking midfield threat. That's not something that Tottenham have faced that often in the Premier League. Maybe it's a, it, not the same, but a version of of what City do when they play Sterling he played Sterling as that false nine but not really the same so it'll be interesting to see how Tottenham deal with that um, the fact as I say that potentially all three centre-backs played for Ajax and will know that system and will know they will certainly as as Jordi says certainly not underestimate them I think that plays into Tottenham's hands but I still think they'll be happy with the draw
0: what a thing though 57 years they've waited to get this far into essentially the European Cup and, and they arrive with their team in tatters
1: that's, that's the great irony of the better Tottenham do the worse it makes last summer look even though they've got here despite last summer and the better it paints Pochettino because it's it's a farce that they're at this stage and they could be having to pick the central midfield that they
3: will. Just on that midfield thing Tottenham have just released a video of the players heading out to train this morning and I can see both Victor Wanyama and Moussa Sissoko so perhaps they will have more of a midfield than we suggested. Sissoke you know, it's a potential headline if he says <laughs> it's, it's OK. Brilliant. Yeah, all right. Well, that's
0: good news, eh? I mean, very, definitely, much needed. Massively. Good news. Mm. Anyway, Spurs coming off their sixth defeat in their last ten matches at the weekend. The the West Ham result, which surprised a lot of people, not least because Spurs had had such an excellent record at their new ground until this point. But then West Ham has Many West Ham fans have pointed out. We're also the first team to defeat Arsenal at the Emirates. So there you go. I'm sure you enjoyed Jack, uh, Miquel Antonio's girl, and The Celebration, which is one I want to watch again and again.
3: <laughs> yeah, very edgy stuff. It, there's, there's a Brazilian striker called Sassa who has been doing this, a similar thing, for the last year. It's called, uh, he calls it the Sahada Noir, which is like an air hump. And here's his, right. is, there's a bit more build up to it. He like crouches down and gets all his teammates around him and eventually jumps into the air and. Thrusts the older uh, hips forward. Right. This, I think, is you know slightly more uh, subtle version. Would but you,
0: with this more subtle? Because well, it's the repetition that really gets you. That's what's so powerful. Yeah. And, and,
3: and that's two weird celebrations. of two weeks from Antonio because he well, what did was the other one. Uh, he lay down on the on the new carpeting at the Olympic Stadium. Right. The new claret carpet. New car- claret carpet, and, and just stroked it weirdly. For well, reasons. he li- he likes an inventive celebration, doesn't he? Because he did the
2: Homer Simpson running around right. on the floor.
3: Yeah. He, he says it's from
1: a, I mean, this makes me sound like I'm 100 years old, but he says it's from a YouTuber that he has been watching in
2: recent weeks. Yeah, no, I, I checked him out. Okay. Dan Roo. He's questionable, questionable chap, I think, looking at his Instagram <laughs> Why, output. A lot of ogling women's bums. Oh, really? I mean, a lot of dancing. Yeah. I think that's his bread and butter. But <laughs> when he's not dancing, he seems to enjoy ogling women's bums. Right. So just putting that out there.
3: Yeah, the good thing about these recording booths is that they're absolutely soundproof. As long as that red light there is off, no one out there can hear us. Especially that
2: god-awful producer. (laughs)
0: Uh, Terry, I forgot to say, the uh, bulb in that uh, red light is broken. We can all hear you, mate. It's easy to mess things up these days. That's why Paddy Power do money-back specials, so not all mistakes cost you as much. On Wednesday, we're offering money-back as a free bet if Barcelona beat Liverpool. Paddy Power,
2: home of the Money Back Special. Selected Marcus only applies to first bet on all losing. Goal score correct score in waters. Paddy bets on the match. Actually fund
6: £10 as a free bet. T's and seeds apply. 18+. Begumpleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Meanwhile, on Wednesday at the Camp Nou or New Camp, depending on which way around you like those words, Liverpool are taking on Barcelona. The first time, as I mentioned, they've met since the 2007 affair... Of Bellamy, Risa, and the golf club. It was all about karaoke, I think, Tom, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was funny because when it happened, there'd been this report that they had had a fight, uh, and then, you know, and that came out, what, like the morning of the game, I think, or perhaps building up to the game. And then obviously, there's the famous Craig Bellamy golf club celebration. Mm. But I think Risa spoke about this quite recently. And it actually sounded really unpleasant. He was asleep in his hotel room and Bellamy came in and just like whacked him across the legs with, with the golf a club. golf club. Right. Um, so as I,
0: as I recall, right. the story was that previously they'd been out on a team-building exercise. On the event.
2: Russell dazzle yeah.
0: Yeah, and um, Craig had insisted that everybody sing uh, the karaoke to build the team spirit and Risa declined and went to bed instead. So Bellamy followed him with a golf club. He took matters into his own hands. Anyway, this time around, the most dangerous club that Liverpool players will be facing will be Barcelona themselves, because they've just sealed their fourth La Liga title in five years. And they're 26th overall, Tom. They're a successful bunch, these Catalans. Uh, And they've had one or two wobbles, but they always seem to resolve them by bringing on this Leo Messi fellow. That was the story this weekend as well. But Messi against VVD, the Premier League Player of the Year, the PFA Player of the Year, Tom. How do you see that?
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it'll be the biggest test that, that Van Dijk has, has faced this season. Um, I mean, I was watching him against Huddersfield and okay... It was about the easiest game that he'll have had all season, but he is—he's flawless, Van Dijk, in everything he does. I mean, he's imperious in the air, he's strong in the challenge, he's so good on the ball, uh, his passing range is phenomenal, uh, and it seems sort of fitting that as we get to the business end of the Champions League, that the sort of the level is getting raised, and he's now you know up against the the best player in the world, and um, we've seen what what Messi can do to, to centre backs um, when he's in the mood. So yeah, that'll be that'll be a key clash.
3: And it's worth remembering that when Van Dyke went to the Camp Nou with Celtic a few years ago, I think five, six seasons ago, Celtic shipped six goals. But even then, uh, VVD was VV good.
0: Barcelona can be scary good, but they're up against a team, is it fair to say, with even more firepower than their own in this Liverpool side?
3: I would say that probably is fair right at the at the business end of the team. Obviously, Messi counts for <laughs> two players in many ways, but Barcelona are very much reliant on him if you look at the third attacking slot that's still a little bit of an issue for them because Ousmane Dembele hasn't hit top form since returning from injury Felipe Cucinho will have something to prove against Liverpool and may well step up to the plate but he hasn't been particularly impressive this season Uh, what strikes me about Barca is that their defence has really tightened up I think it's six clean sheets from seven now And Samuel Umtiti can't even get in the team because Clemence Longley is playing very well. Mm. So I think it's an interesting clash of styles and it's odd for uh, Barcelona to come into a match with their defence probably being the the key part. But I think that's the case in this first leg. Right.
0: And of course, it's not just Liverpool's forwards you have to worry about. It's their full-backs.
1: Yeah, the two top assisting defenders in the country this season. Um, And... Yeah, Jordi, Jordi Alba and Andrew Robertson it always feel slightly reductive to put the tie down to simple battles, but how those left-backs get forward and how they overlap and how they're able to provide for the strikers, we know Messi and Alba is the kind of the dream Barcelona combination. In some ways, Robertson to whoever, and it's been Sadio Mane's head recently, has been the combination. So I think, yeah, that's the obvious battle.
0: Okay. Barcelona, they don't have a great record in the Champions League since 2015, when they last uh, won this competition knocked out in the last three sets of quarter finals i quite fancy liverpool to to do something here tom
2: yeah i mean i it's it's hard to to pick between them i think i think liverpool have been have been more impressive in the champions league this season i'm not sure barcelona have really been Tested yet? In that they had Lyon in the last sixteen, um, and then Manchester United in the quarterfinals, and and in both of those ties, Messi sort of decided them on his own with a sudden sort of half an hour burst of activity in 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 the key game each time. And um, yeah, I, I think I think Liverpool have you know sort of improved as the tournament has, has gone on, and as I was saying before, they're in you know they're in a really good position at the moment um, you know players are all fit uh, key men are on form Mo Salah looks back to his best and uh, yeah I, I think I'd probably I'd probably back Liverpool as slight favourites in this
0: alright nice one what about Arsenal Valencia on Thursday
1: Arsenal have to improve their defending they have to they've three goals in each of the last three games they've they lost were...
0: their last three as well
1: yeah they, before that they kept a clean sheet away at Watford but against ten men and they were pretty wretched in that as well it just feels like all of the goodwill that Unai Emery has built up over the last seven, eight months is is dissipating within the space of about 10 days. And if if they lose to home to Valencia, it will almost completely have ceded, I think. I don't think he's in any danger of losing his job this summer because it goes much higher than him to Stan Kroenke, etc. But yeah, they've fallen away badly. And from being strong odds on favourites for a top four place, they're now almost certain to miss out, which is They mad. did
0: impress against Napoli in, in the last round. Valencia were in a similar uh, situation, currently lying sixth in the league, three points off the top four and coming in off a defeat.
3: Yeah, I mean, Valencia have been a weird team this year. The, the first half of the season, they just couldn't stop drawing matches. Then they went on a, a long spell when they didn't lose for a couple of months and now have hit a rocky patch again. It's obviously Unai Emery's return. It's also the Francis Coquelin derby, lest we forget. Uh, he's going to be anchoring the, the Valencia midfield. I think this has the makings of quite a, a tooth and nail battle between two teams quite low on confidence and not maybe not that much quality. All the- right.
0: Thursday then, they take on Valencia. Chelsea, meanwhile, will be off in Frankfurt. We'll hear about what that match will entail from Raphael Honigstein later on in the show. After this, though, we're back to the domestic game and, yes, Leeds-Villa.
4: Hi, I'm Kate Borsay, host of The Offside Rule. And in our latest edition, we sent Lindsay Hooper off to West Ham to speak with defender Pablo Zabaleta. He told us all about playing under Maradona, West Ham's season and how they can achieve success. Plus, there's memories of his time in Manchester, including that fateful afternoon against QPR in 2012.
1: When QPR equalised the game and then scored the second goal, I thought, oh my God, I don't score many goals uh, during the season. (laughs) That was my first one in probably the best game. In the end, which is we needed uh, Seco and Nawera to the rescue.
4: To listen to the whole interview, just search for The Offside Rule in your podcasting app of choice and hit subscribe and download. That's The Offside Rule with me, Kate Balsay, out every Friday morning.
0: Part four. Relegation battle. Is it over, Daniel? Yes. OK. Fulham beat Cardiff 1-0. Brighton drew 1-1 with Newcastle, which means... Cardiff are now four points adrift and 14 goals worse off. They need to win their last two against Palace and Man United, and also hope that Brighton lose theirs, which are away to Arsenal and then home to Man City. Is it over?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, Cardiff Cardiff shouldn't be have already, should have already been relegated according to their squad quality and budget and just about everything else, but. Against Fulham on Saturday, they they had a chance to finally be proactive and take the game to someone and get a lead and then sit on it, which Warnock is brilliant at doing. And they had one shot in the first half. They just didn't turn up in the first half. And I think that means it's just a bridge too far now. Right.
0: Yeah, Warnock with no one but himself to blame for this defeat. Three shots, only one of which was on target from the first minute to the 80th. And then in the final 10 minutes, another 10 shots as they Mm. finally realise, oops, we better go for it. Mm.
2: Well, they ended up Cardiff with eight shots on target to Fulham's two. Um, So they did have a go belatedly. But as Daniel was saying, I mean, Cardiff have done incredibly to still be in the division with only two games remaining. Um, I mean, quite apart from the fact that they had the weakest squad in the division alongside Huddersfield that they spent next to no money uh, in the summer transfer window then you have the Emiliano Salah tragedy in January um, they've had some really bad luck with refereeing decisions um, so yeah I, I think Cardiff are down but they've you know they, they've given a pretty good account of themselves and the circumstances
0: right run barbell with the goal that may well have sealed their fate what a, what a fabulous goal it was and Fulham picking up their third straight win and their third straight clean sheet A Scott Parker
1: very impressive First time Fulham have kept three clean sheets in a row in the Premier League since February 2010, Really? I yes.
0: they will be a useful addition, the cottages, to the Championship, which is currently the world's most entertaining league, I put it to you. Championship this weekend, not much happened, eh? Norwich confirming their promotion back to the top flight. Sheffield United are up two after they beat Ipswich, tricky to pronounce, Ipswich, and Leeds took on an Aston Villa team, that had won 11 straight games and held them to a 1-1 draw. But only after some of the most extraordinary scenes of the season had taken place. Daniel?
1: Yeah, so it starts 10 minutes before the actual incident. Because at 10 minutes before the actual incident, what happens is a uh, an Aston Villa... Uh, sorry, a Leeds player goes down injured... And Aston Villa, slow, both players slow down, as tends to happen now, and the game gets played at half pace for about 10 seconds, and eventually the ball is kicked out. Ten minutes later, the vice versa happens. So an Aston Villa player uh, goes down injured. Uh, the game again goes into that half pace. Villa then stop playing. Leeds then decide they're going to carry on
0: playing. So Tyler Roberts, yeah, he looks like he's just going to stroke the ball out of play, but instead he strokes it forwards to uh... Matej, click. Yeah, Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, he, he, really,
3: he really gave them the eyes, Roberts, with yeah. a, <laughs> a brutal sense yeah. in that he looked like, for all the world, he was going to knock it out, look towards the the touchline, then just knocks a through ball.
0: Which means that the Villa defence has been entirely caught out, but so has the linesman as well. Yeah, and it, it
1: causes a, a massive brawl, a ruckus between... Um, between the players, during which... Well, because click has gone on and scored, despite yes.
0: being, I think, evidently offside, in an off, offside yes. position. right?
1: Um, and, yeah, and it causes a fight. Amwar El Ghazi gets himself sent off, but I think it's fair to say that Patrick Bamford uh, gets him sent off. It was just outrageous. One of those things that 20 years ago, you wouldn't really hear about it, because everything's televised now. It just makes him look so stupid. The two the are weekend. kind of
0: tussling, and then yeah, he El just Ghazi goes- swings round, and Bamford, who hasn't really been touched... Clutches yeah, his down. face and yeah. tumbles and the yeah. referee sends off El Ghazi.
1: Indeed, and I suspect, I wouldn't be surprised if Bamford gets a, a ban mm. for at least one game of the playoffs for it. Um, and then at that point, the, the most extraordinary thing is that... Well, but like,
0: now you've got an almighty set to going on on the touchline as well where John Terry yeah. is taking on Marcelo
6: Bielsen. Very
1: in much it. a fight of the righteous. Um, John Terry sticking up for what is morally... Uh, what he feels is morally right, as he's done for almost three decades. And... Yeah, Marcello Bielsa, the only way to sort this situation out without it causing longer-lasting problems is for Leeds to let Aston Villa score. Uh, The
3: immortal three-line instruction, let them goal. Yeah. Let (laughs) them goal. I thought
2: it was give them goal.
3: Even better. (laughs) Give them goal.
1: My only annoyance with it is that in those situations, I think it's only right. Forrest and Leicester did this a few years ago. There was a different incident in which a, a player collapsed on the pitch so they had to replay the game and Forrest 1-0 up at the time unless Leicester let Forrest score from the kickoff right at the start and it's the goalkeeper that walked through and scored. I think that's the only thing they got wrong is that it should have been the goalkeeper that was allowed to walk through and score. But
0: well, Yeah, although Pontes Janssen would not have let him, I suspect. Pontus Janssen... the only gonna... man on the pitch who hadn't got the memo. Well, I think he had
1: got the memo. I think he's such a cult hero that he won I, I actually think it was a piece of tremendous acting. I think he knew he wasn't going to get the ball but he wanted to be seen mm. to be trying. Um, but just you know, not quite getting there. But yeah, that's the only way it could be sold. It should be said that even if it was sold as the goal that let Sheffield United get promoted, the reality is, that in terms of goal difference, Sheffield United were already up by with their victory on Saturday. I don't know whether Bielsa would have done exactly the same thing had if Leeds had needed a win to go up. Um, I'd like to think that he would, and he I deserves think, a bit, I yeah, think he probably would. He have deserves done, a benefit of credit. That, that having sort done, of guy, Bielsa.
2: Yeah. He is v- extremely principled. Um, and uh, I think I think for him it was just a black and white. Well, obviously, we shouldn't have done what we did, and there's only one way to repair it. And I mean, I've seen it described as you know the most controversial goal of the season of the last few years, but it's, it's actually not very controversial at all. You know, with the, the 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 lead response to it is entirely appropriate. Um, and yeah, I think fair play to Bielsa and fair play to Leeds for um you know for, for doing the right thing.
1: There is a point in there which is that. The The rule is that a referee should stop the game unless it's for a head injury. But that never happens now. As I say, the game always gets played at this weird half pace. Either the rule needs to be changed that players should be the ones to kick the ball out, right. or the referee needs to stop ev- for every injury, or players just need to get on with it if it's not a head injury because it's just a weird half rule at the moment. Well,
0: certainly it's strange they should have continued playing until the ball actually was out of play as opposed to just... Well, that, yeah, that, that's
1: the rules. But then as soon as one team stops morally, it feels wrong for the other team just to carry on playing. So effectively, the defending right. team can just can make it go their way by just standing still. Uh, but it, yeah, it kind of needs to be sorted out because it's very messy. Will oh,
0: Patrick Bamford be banned? I, I think he'll be
1: lucky if he doesn't.
0: OK, excellent. Less entertaining this weekend, Bolton failed to play their game against Brentford because their players wouldn't turn up because they hadn't been paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, this looks like it's going to end badly.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and the... the bleak reality for Bolton Wanderers supporters is that the the one person they maybe wouldn't have wanted to take over from Ken Anderson is is Lawrence Bassini who has a pretty wretched record of and is he still taking over yeah the, uh, apparently so although there are doubts whether he's got the funds and the players apparently doubt whether the takeover will go through one of the things I think it was the EFL suggested to Bolton or could you not play a team of kids as if as if a first teamers that aren't getting paid their wages as if kids are suddenly going to come in and go well we're not getting paid either and we've got less money but yeah sure we'll, we'll break the line and, and break the strike but no it's just a horrible situation for all involved and I,
0: So if Bolton don't pay their players they the will players go are out. not going to play
1: Yeah and if, if the takeover doesn't go through I think there's a, a middling to strong chance that Bolton will go out of business
0: Before the end of the season even Or over the summer Over yeah. the summer right Okay, there'll be more on that story in the Totally Football League show on Tuesday. Uh, Nice to note, though, talking about teams who've been through similar financial travails, Leighton Orion, who two years ago looked absolutely doomed. It seemed a question of time with all the winding up orders they were continually fighting off in the courts, that they might disappear from the the world of football. But instead, what happened to them this weekend?
1: Yeah, they drew nil-nil at home to Braintree, which was enough because... Um, both Salford and Solihull needed to win, and and they didn't. Uh, so yeah, so late morning up.
0: Well, more about all that in the football league show, in which hopefully they'll also be discussing Marcelo Bielsa's brave attempts to say the the word Ipswich, which sounded like this.
5: Supuestamente va a poder estar disponible para el partido de Ipswich, 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 Sweet Me derrotado. OK, I give up.
6: You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoytheRoversOfficial.com I'll
0: Tell you what we haven't thought about yet. That's the race for seventh Whoa. place. Wow. Mikey Hollingsworth says, what are your thoughts on Everton, Wolves, Watford and Leicester for next season? If they keep their squads together, surely one could push for the top six. Well, there's currently an 11-point gap between those boys and the aforementioned sextet. It's Wolves who lead this quartet on 54 points, three points ahead of Leicester, and a point behind Leicester are Everton and Watford, both Foxes and Wolves. You know, sort of thematically enough, impressing this weekend, Jack.
3: Of those four, I would think Leicester are best place to to kick on. I think they've got uh, they've got a fabulous squad. It's it was a great job for Brendan Rodgers to take over, and I think he's proved that over his first few weeks in charge. The, the amount of young talent they've got in there is spectacular, really. And
1: Ben Chilwell's still eligible for Young Player of the Year season after
3: next. Really? In my head, he's like 26, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's madness. He how- was the centre of my moment of the weekend, actually. He, he got a massive bang on his eyebrow. And Ben Chuo, who spends most of every match sweeping his hair back to make sure it's perfectly in place. I think he thought, well, this isn't going to look very good in photos. And for the next half an hour, he suddenly had a mysterious parting that was flopping over his eyebrows. Right. Interestingly. Not that interesting. Anyway, Leicester, yeah, I think they, they look really good. They were so much more coherent than Arsenal mm. at the weekend. Just the way they play. Brendan Rodgers changed, thing up, changed things up a bit by bringing Hamza Chowdhury in to stiffen things up in the midfield and it just blew Arsenal away, really. They Arsenal can hurt had you no, in so many ways,
0: in... can't they? Through the midfield guile of Madison and Tielemans, what a signing he looks like, or yeah. loan signing for now. Or, straight, good old-fashioned, route one football, woof, Schmeichel all the way up to Vardy and bish-bash-bosh, it's 2-0.
2: Edison-esque, I'd say, that pass from Schmeichel. It's not just a hoof, is it? He can see that there's space in behind the Arsenal back line, not for the first time this season, um, and, and plays Vardy through nicely. I, th- I think if you could guarantee that the Champions League contenders outside the top two would remain as hopeless as they've been this season, next season, then you might back one of the teams from that little collection of clubs to bridge the gap. I mean, that will clearly be the incentive because you know Wolves have had a great season. Leicester looked transformed under Brendan Rodgers. You know, Watford, Everton as well have, have turned a corner of late. Um, the problem for them is that all of those clubs will go out and strengthen in the summer, and I imagine that will probably prevent that gap from closing. But certainly, I, I think I think it's a really exciting group of of teams who are all playing all playing good football and, and all look to be on a positive dynamic
1: a word for Wolves who um Adam Bate who works for Sky Sports has been on here and he's a Wolves fan but he, he tweeted if you took out results against the bottom four Wolves would be third in the Premier League only Man City and Liverpool have got more points than them if you take out the bottom four so they've obviously struggled against the worst but by its very nature three of those clubs are going to change next season mm. so they only have to be just about as good as they have been this season and improve against the you know, the weaker sides and Wolves will fancy themselves to do good business this summer. They'll, they'll fancy themselves to do top six business because of the connections they have. They've already signed Jimenez, obviously. I still think they're a, they've got a shout for top six, again, with the caveat, if the teams above them don't improve. The only thing about those teams above is that they all could lose players, of course, this summer. You know, Chelsea might lead Eason Hazard. There's Toby Alderweireld probably likely to lead Spurs, maybe even Christian Eriksen. Manchester United have got doubts over Pogba and De Gea. So,
0: and Herrera too, no?
1: Yeah, well, Herrera looks definitely to be off. There's only really Arsenal who you'd think won't lose a, a, a high-value player, and that's because they haven't really got money. Apart from Aaron many... Ramsey. Yeah, of course, yeah, Ramsey leaves. So, yeah, it's not a, it's not a given that mm. they start next season much stronger. I think they'll change, but I'm not sure about stronger. Okay. The other thing is it in terms of tr- being attractive in the transfer market, there's an argument now that, that clubs like Leicester and Wolves and Everton are are more attractive for players to go to than Manchester United because the spending power those teams now have got outside the top six. There is less pressure on you to perform immediately. No player has joined Manchester United and improved for a long time, probably since David De Gea. So you know, look at the players they signed last summer, like Ricardo Pereira and Gilfie Sigurdsson and Luca Dean, and these are top level players that teams outside the top six are able to sign.
0: Yeah, indeed. So, all right, Leicester with a three 0 win over Arsenal, it could have been twice that. Wolves beating Watford two one and a measure of revenge for their FA Cup semi-final and Everton only managing a 0-0 draw with Crystal Palace. The other game this weekend was that 3-3 draw between Saints and Bournemouth which means that Southampton are now mathematically certain of staying up. All right, after this we're going to talk about Europe with Raphael Honigstein previewing Chelsea's trip to Frankfurt and some incredible scenes in the French Cup. (laughs) So much going on in Europe. In Spain, we've already heard about Barcelona, but did you know, Tom, that Real Madrid went and lost again?
2: It did indeed, the Rayo Vallecano. The bottom team in the mm. table.
0: They hadn't beaten Real Madrid in 22 years, but they did on this occasion 1-0. There was no Benzema who'd scored Real Madrid's last eight goals. There was no Ramos and uh, Christian Bale. No, the other one. Gareth Bale, not covering himself in glory. Tom, what about that French Cup? Com- Madness! Oh, where to start? So it's Saturday night, and PSG are taking on Rennes in the final of the Coupe de France, and Neymar is starting his first game since February. It didn't go well.
2: No it didn't I mean it initially it did uh, as you say Neymar back in the starting 11 after um, recovering from uh, his foot problem uh, sets up Dani Alves for a fantastic goal think Beckham and Scholes at Valley Parade all those years ago with a corner from the left volley from the edge of the box Di Maria then threads Neymar through he chips Thomas Kubek PSG are 2-0 up and all is well um, but Ren, hang in there um, claw a goal back when uh, personal Kimpembe who has been dreadful in recent weeks slices a shot into his own net mm. equalise um, through Mejere um, midway through the second half and then Ren, hang in there PSG very profligate Kylian Mbappe misses a hatload of chances and then gets sent off for a really disgraceful challenge on Damian da Silva catches him sort of on the inside of the knee with his stud showing um, and that will quite possibly be the end of his season, Um, goes to penalties. uh, And the first player to blink is PSG's Christopher Nkunku, uh, who blazes the 12th penalty of the shooter over the crossbar. And Ren... Win the French Cup, their first bit of silverware since 1971. Uh, Nice bit of revenge for Hatton Ben Arfa, famously frozen out at at PSG, who had uh, a few less than charitable things to say about Nasser Al-Khalifi, the PSG president, at the end of the game.
0: He said, we did a remontada, this Ben Arfa, but then PSG are used to that. A little bit of a reference to Richard Traverse.
2: Yeah, the there, was, there were liberal amounts of salt being sprinkled by <laughs> Bonartha after the game. Um, he also said that it, you know, it must have been weird for, for President Nasser. You should never underestimate your opponent. They always come back stronger. And then predicted that Adrian Rabiot, who is currently being frozen up by PSG, right. would at some point in the future return to haunt the club in the same way that Bonartha had done.
0: So at the final whistle as well, there was a, there was a handshake gate.
2: Yeah, kind of. In the Khalif um, Al khalifi the PSG president, is there in the row of dignitaries as Ren pick up the the cup. Uh, ben Arfa goes past him, goes to shake his hand. Al khalifi looks reluctant to shake his hand, and then Ben Arfa insists. There's a couple of words exchanged. Okay, uh, but the most notable incident post-match was as the PSG players are making their way up the steps at Stade de France to get their runners-up medals, there's some bozo filming them, uh, apparently a friend of one of the Wren players, and insulting them as they go past. Uh, he said something to Kozawa, he called Buffon a clown, he called Marco Verratti a racist. Then he tells Neymar to go and learn how to play football. Neymar <laughs> reacts by stopping, they sort of grapples for a little bit, and then he basically lamps him. Um, so that is is likely to be uh, 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 you know, Neymar's season over as well. The suggestion in Le Quique this morning was that he's looking at a ban of up to five matches for that. In addition to the three-match Champions League ban that he's already been hit with for slagging off the officials after the elimination against Man United in, in the Champions League. Um, so a pretty wretched end to the season for PSG. Their worst season uh, since 2012-13 uh, in terms of trophies won because they've only won uh, the league title. Um, and, yeah, questions being asked about Thomas Tuchel, about Antero Henrique, the sporting director, whose recruitment has been, uh, you know, pretty appalling the last few years. And also about al Khalifa himself, who mm. has been the one constant throughout, you know, the various setbacks of recent seasons. The Ramontada uh, at Camp Nou, going out against Real Madrid, the calamitous defeat against Man United. Um, so, yeah, an interesting summer ahead. Jack Tanner says,
0: surely Tuchel's job at PSG must be in doubt. Next stop for Jose, question mark.
2: I mean, Jose, with classic subtlety, has let it be known that he would be open to working in Ligue 1. He, he was, was at a Ligue 1 He, was, uh, okay. he watched Lille. Uh, watched Lille beat uh, Nîmes 5-0 um, on... Uh, uh, Sunday.
0: So the next day, he turns up at a French game.
2: Yes, uh, uh, the feeling with with Tuchel is that he was the choice of the Emir in in Qatar. So you know, the, the owners of the club went over Al Khalifa's head and said, "This is our man. He's very popular with the players." Right up until um, the United tie in the Champions League, and if you you know overlook the fact they went out of the Coupe de la Ligue against Gangot, he he was actually doing pretty well. Um, so th- there is support for him at the highest echelons of the club. Ancero Henrique um, the former Porto Supremo is the guy who is responsible for the fact that PSG have got this very thin squad and have recruited very poorly but then Al Khalifi when he was asked about Henrique most recently said that his job was in no danger so yeah I, I can't see Tuchel losing his job I'm, I'm sure, I don't think Mourinho is as attractive to PSG as, as he might have been a couple of years ago but I think there are going to be changes of, of some description in the summer
0: Nice one Thanks Tom uh, Italy you can hear more about that in Golazzo where we we'll- We'll be talking about the Derby of Italy featuring that stunner from Nainggolan and CR7's 600th career goal. Plus, we'll discuss why a manager who was once ranked top three in the world is now known mostly for shouting cock repeatedly. Also, Germany, where the title race collided this week, collided with the Riviera Derby. Schalke and Dortmund in the Ruhr. Let's hear from Raphael Honigstein. Rafa, what drama, what drama this weekend in the Bundesliga?
7: It was um, very, very eventful, James. Dortmund were looking to put pressure on Bayern with a win against their hated rival Schalke, but Schalke really tore up that script completely. They won 4-2. Dortmund self-destructed, had two players sent off, conceded a very strange penalty um, after VAR intervention on a handball. Everything was set up for Bayern to take full advantage, to kill the title race, once and for all, but they stumbled and only mustered a 1-1 draw away to Nuremberg on Sunday. So right. two points right. clear, three games to go. It's still game on.
0: OK, so Bayern in those three games have to host Hanover, then they go to Leipzig and they finish off against Frankfurt. What are the odds on them dropping two points in those matches?
7: Well, Hanover are the poorest team in the league, not just uh, results-wise, but also their performances under Thomas Dahl have been fairly atrocious. They actually won at the weekend, but uh, not quite sure how, how they mastered that. So that is almost a given thing, that Bayern were, will be taking three points from that. But then the two next games are really difficult. Leipzig are the inf- team in the league. They've won six in a row. They've made it to the Dave Bukhar final, where they also will play Bayern. And Frankfurt have been one of the best teams as well in fourth place. Uh, Really, really difficult to play against, as Chelsea, I think we'll find out on Thursday. So it is not inconceivable that Bayern will win one game but then not win the next two, which would give Dortmund still a realistic possibility. But they have to, and they were themselves. Uh, defensively, uh, fairly shambolic, and they, of course, have to do without Marco Royce, who will be suspended after the red card. Okay, well, let's talk about what
0: what awaits at the Commerzbank Arena on Thursday for Chelsea in the Europa League semi final. You were tipping Eintracht Frankfurt for the trophy way back when, Rafa. It looked like that prediction might come to nothing when they when they went. What was it four two behind in the first leg of the quarter final against Benfica?
7: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, they they lost a man early on uh, through a red card. So the fact that they lost only four two inverted commas was, I think, almost seen as a minor victory for for Frankfurt. And then they got a little lucky to be perfectly uh, fair in the return leg. But they still managed to squeeze through. They have won um, almost every single game in this competition, and they they were absolutely outstanding. Uh, in in the group stages where they won all six games, so it's been it's been a great season for a team that a lot of people thought might have a some outside chance to do something. But at the same time, a new manager, uh, big players leaving, uh, a, a completely new system, and uh, and the double pressures, if you will, or the double burden of of playing in Europa League, something that Bundesliga teams in recent years have not been able to cope with at all. Um, spoke against them or, or, or would seem to be pointing towards a less than uh, exciting season. But they've they've confounded all the doubters, all the expectations, and they're on course on qualifying for the Champions League in one way or the other.
0: Rafa, are you still tipping them to, to make it to the final and then win it? Or do you think they're going to get past Chelsea?
7: I think it's going to be a pretty close game. It's 50-50. I think Chelsea on paper would be seen as favourites, but they haven't been all that convincing. I think Rudiger's injury might, might be a big problem for them. And, you know, whenever Frankfurt seem to have hit their ceiling, as it were, this season, they, they've exceeded uh, their own expectations and done even better. So I wouldn't really put it past them to do it once more. so. But Frankfurt have a very decent chance of making it to the final, in my view.
0: Time to get some odds then on all that action and more. Producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo.
6: Listeners, you know what I'm about to say now. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. Lee, let's talk about the Champions League and Barcelona versus Liverpool to start with. Loads of goal scorers in both teams, so give us the markets for that and the overall here, please.
4: Yeah, this is huge. We've tipped a mercurial South American talent to open the scoring. Okay, so that barely nails down at all, Ben, but of course... Lionel Messi is the favourite to score first, last or any time. He's five to six to net in this leg, and his team, Barcelona, are also odds on to have some joy. It's eight to eleven to they win this match, sixteen to five Liverpool do, eleven to four the draw, which makes our Mamax special in this game even more generous or stupid perhaps. It's money back as a free bet if Barcelona win. Selected markets only, pretty much singles only, max free bet ten pounds, T and C's apply. Spurs
6: versus Ajax is the other Champions League semi, not one that we would have predicted at the start of the season, but both teams here on merit. So give us the markets for this one. And also, rather cheekily, can you tell me, please, what the odds are on Spurs not being in the Champions League next season one way or the other?
4: Yeah, super tight this game, teams almost inseparable in the to-qualify market and also pretty tight on the night. So let's start there at Tottenham Stadium, the home team 7-5 favourites to win there despite the West Ham horror show on Saturday, with Ajax's children 9-5 to to win there, the draw 23-10. In terms of reaching the final, Spurs are just about the favourites, but by the slightest of margins. They're 20-23 to to go through, Ajax 9-10, not sure I've ever said those prices before. As for Potash men not being in the Champions League next season, it looks unlikely. If you take that Ajax price to go through and double it together with Spurs to finish outside the top four, which is 9-1, to one, you get a chunky 18-1. to one.
6: And finally, let's stick with Europe, the Europa League semi-finals, Arsenal versus Valencia, Chelsea versus Eintracht Frankfurt. Let's hear your take, please.
4: If we are giving up for an all-English final in the Europa League, the people of Azerbaijan are owed an apology. It's not like either of these teams in any kind of form, is it? Arsenal are 10-11 to, to win on Thursday night against Valencia and 8-11 favourites to reach the final. Both of those odds on, of course. And we expect Chelsea to join them. They're 4-9 to, to go through against Frankfurt, 13-8 to, to win in Germany. Do all the maths and it works out at 1.5-1 to 1 that the two London clubs meet in the logical place of Baku.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only be gamble aware.org and when the fun stops stop thursday's show will be reacting to all that midweek madness and will feature julien Laurence, michael cox and duncan alexander jack many thanks for being with us today what are you looking forward to most this midweek
3: barcelona liverpool i suppose really barcelona liverpool yeah
0: good daniel i'll say spurs ajax great oh, Tom's
3: I was going to say here. Spurs actually. were you
0: yeah you can both I'm enjoy the same Spurs, thing Ajax. yeah Not too Not too original. Original. Oh, there's so much I think they all look great all the games I'm looking forward to all of them anyway I'm looking forward to being back here talking about it all on Thursday morning with you listener have a great time in the meanwhile
6: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats.